0: All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. Today we are live with Dr. Tom Cowan. Tom, how's it going? Thanks for joining us.
1: It's good. Nice to meet you.
0: Yeah, this is one we've actually been kind of told we need to talk to you for a long time. I think Carrie Bennett said originally to talk to you. And I'm familiar with your work, but I've taken a deeper dive in the past you know, few weeks preparing for the show. And I didn't realize how aligned kind of our, our thought process thought processes were. And yeah, you've really kind of paved the way, I think, for a, a whole new school of thinking in the health space, which is very admirable, question everything. And yeah, uh, I've listened to some podcasts where you say it's all nonsense, but it really is a fun way to look at the world. And we need more people being open-minded like yourself And you have two great books that we're kind of going to focus in on here in the hour. Um, There's a lot more and maybe we'll have to have you back. But those books are Cancer and the New Biology of Water and Human Heart, Cosmic Heart. So why don't we start with the heart and get right into it? Um, The mainstream paradigm is telling us that the heart is a pump. But you have written extensively and, and others have as well. Um, not too many others about why that is not true, so maybe we start there. Why is the human heart not a pump, and let 's get into what it actually does from a functionality perspective instead
1: okay uh, just to say uh, and I, I usually say this before wh- one of the principles that most people don 't know about science i mean the trou- one of the troubles in our culture, if you want to call it that, is that we're basically scientifically illiterate. And one of the particular examples of that is the, the, the one of the basic premises of science is you make a hypothesis which has to be able to be falsifiable, in other words, proven untrue, and that become if you have a positive claim, that becomes the issue. And you don't need to come up with an alternative hypothesis. I, I can give you an example to bring that home, which is one I heard from somebody I know. If you find out, you know, when you're 18 that you're you have like adoption papers and you didn't know you were adopted. Right, and you don't even look like your parents. And then you ask your mother, "Where was I adopted?" And they say, "Yes, you were adopted. I didn't know that." And you have the proof. You have the papers. Your mother told you you don't look like your parents. And you tell your friend, "Oh, I just found out I was adopted." And your friend says, "Well, who are your real parents?" You say, "I don't know. I just found out yesterday." And they say, "Well, I don't believe you. Then, if you don't know your real parents, then you must those must be your." real parents. Now, obviously, that's ridiculous, right? Because nobody would think that. But you say, you know, like I say, there's no such thing as a virus. Well, then what makes you get sick? So that is a profoundly anti-scientific way of thinking. So as far as the heart, the claim, right? So we have a positive claim. The heart is a pump. Now, let's flesh that out a little bit. They mean a pressure propulsion device, right? That means the heart is a muscle that I agree with. And when the muscle contracts, squeezes down, that creates pressure which propels the liquid inside it, called the blood, through the arteries, through the capillaries, through the veins, and back to the heart. In other words, the reason for the movement of the blood is the pressure and propulsion generated by this one-pound muscle called the heart. You agree with that? That's what I learned in medical school. That's the claim. Now, the first thing to notice about that is if you put the the blood vessels end-to-end in the body, they would be thousands and thousands of miles long. Right. And you've got this sticky fluid in it where some of the stuff in the fluid, in the fluid, like red blood cells, is the approximate diameter or more than the actual tubes. Right. And then you find even when it goes, it's going the fastest as it enters and exits the heart, that is the blood. It's the same speed going in as going out. That's measurable. And then it slows down and stops at the capillaries. And then it gets going again and goes back to the heart. And so this theory is that the heart is pushing this blood with this one pound organ uh, through this 30,000 miles of tubes. The blood halfway through the journey stops and then it gets going again. And all that is because of a push from the heart muscle. Like that's ridiculous. And, 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 and another way to put that is if you had a, a water system and the water uh, went down the hill and then stopped and was in a pond. And then you wanted to get it back up to the house at the top of the hill. Where would you put the pump?
0: uh yeah at the bottom
1: at the bottom where the water stopped right yep you wouldn't put it where the water was already moving the fastest and so that would be at the capillaries that's where the pump would have to be you don't need a heart a a pump to make the water go down the arteries where it's already moving the fastest so that got me thinking that this can't be the real way the blood moves. But the final thing, and again, you can think with me, uh, when the exit tube of the heart is called the aortic arch. I used to work in a cardiac cath lab. So we put the dye in the, in, the heart, in, the, in the veins, goes to the heart. It exits the heart in a, I don't know if you can see me, but a tube like this, right? Shape, imagine a garden hose on your spigot outside your house. And it's shaped like a McDonald's arch and you turn the hose off and it's shaped like this what would happen if you turned the ho- the spigot on full blast with a flexible garden hose expand straighten
0: yeah yeah oh it straightened straighten like that yeah that's right right yep
1: i don't want to put words in your mouth or concepts but it, everybody knows and if you don't believe me go outside make a curved hose turn on the water full blast and i guarantee it will straighten. Now we're talking about a push 30,000 miles, right? So that's a hell of a push. And somebody, you know, it's been estimated it would to generate that much force would be about 30 times more than an organ like that could even generate. So we're talking about a huge push. But you know what the aortic arch does at maximum uh, at systole where the heart is supposedly pumping? It bends in. Now, when I first saw that and asked the cardiologist, hey, how come the 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 arch bends in when it's when it's maximum push? And he said, Well, that's the way it does. And I said, Well, I know that's the way it does, because I can see it. And that that makes no sense. That right there falsifies the claim that the heart is pushing the blood through that through that archway. It must be a suction, right? has to be, otherwise it wouldn't suck the arch in. So there's some other things, but those are the basics that I would say at this point, we now know that the heart cannot be a pressure propulsion device, i.e. a pump. So
0: we started there with why it's not a pump. And- right. Then we can move on to well, how does it actually work? Because cause you mentioned a lot of keynotes here that there's miles and miles on, on capillaries and and the red blood cells get to a point where they're actually bigger, right? In the micron diameter of the smallest capillary. So it's like right. how that pressure works. How is that working in order and then we're so far from from the heart as well. So how could it possibly be, you know, pushing that through? So Maybe we start there and talk about how exactly the blood is flowing through capillaries of such a small diameter.
1: Right. So we know that the heart can't be a pump. And it's important when you're doing an argument like this so we don't have to go back to that. Like like in 20 years, if the guy doesn't find his parents, right, because maybe they're dead or they ran away or whatever... You don't go and say, well, that means you must not be adopted, right? That issue is settled and done. And so we don't have to you that's not a possible solution to this. Now, so we know that the pump, the, the, the motive force for the movement has to be where the water stopped or the blood stopped. That's the capillaries. So now you have to realize that water, you know, one of the things we're told in science, like fourth grade, which is wrong, is that matter has three phases, solid, liquid, gas, and that's it. So water has ice, water, steam. So I ask people, so what phase is jello in? 97% water. Well, it's not ice, right? It's not water. And it's not steam, so I need the next question. No, you got to stick with that question. It's not, there's another phase. It's called a gel phase. Now, whenever you have water interacting with uh, hydrophilic surfaces like tubes with an ambient energy source like the sunlight, it will form a layer of a gel layer called a coherent layer, exclusion zone, coherent water, a lot of names for structured water that's negatively charged that lines the tube. So it does. And that means the positive charges are put into the water, into the bulk water, otherwise known as the blood. Those charges repel each other and start moving. So the movement is, is an electromagn- electrostatic force. It's, it's because of the anomalous or so-called fourth phase of water. And only water does that, and it creates a separation of charges, i.e. voltage, which then, in, in a, as due to electromagnetism, creates movement. And you can prove that, because you can get a beaker of water. And you can put a, a suspend a, a hydrophilic tube horizontally in the water. And then the water will start moving in the tube. And then you can put it in a lead box and the water stops moving. And you can shine the sun on it and the water starts moving. And you can put it on the earth, which is its own electric donator, so to speak. And that starts moving. And you can put your hands on it, and it starts moving. And you can put your dog next to it, at least most dogs, and it starts moving. And then you can put your cell phone next to it, and it stops moving. Because the cell phone radiation inhibits the formation of this gel. So no charge, no movement. And so once the water starts moving in in the tube, i.e. in the blood, then it goes from like a wetland to a river. So it gets narrower and narrower and therefore goes faster and faster because that's called Bernoulli's principle, which the movement of water, and anybody can see it, if you go from a lake to a river, you go faster. The water goes faster just because of compression. And if you go to a big river to a small river, the water goes even faster. Uh, so that's what happens. The water the blood goes gets compressed from miles of capillaries to a single vena cava, goes faster and faster and faster, gets to the heart, and the heart stops the blood. It's like a a dam with expandable walls. So then the wa- the blood fills the dam up, the walls expand and that creates positive pressure behind in the in the chamber and a vacuum on the other side right because there's nothing going out not for very long but momentarily there's oh, the blood the blood goes away creates a vacuum the gate opens sucks the tube in just like you you would expect and the blood is then eliminated from the chamber down to the capillaries goes slower and slower as it goes, and then it goes to the capillaries and gets re- re-pumped back to the heart.
2: This podcast is brought to you by our lead sponsor, EMR Tech. EMR Tech manufactures high-quality, high-powered red light therapy devices. In my opinion, red and infrared light are two of the biggest nutrient deficiencies in our modern society due to our indoor lifestyles. Red light therapy devices like the ones from EMR Tech can help combat that by providing high-powered red light while being indoors. I personally use mine every morning and every evening. Red and near infrared light is extremely beneficial for energy production in our body because it boosts mitochondrial function and penetrates deep into the cell. It is also extremely beneficial for skin health, eye health, as well as our circadian rhythms. And this is actually pretty much why I bought everyone in my family an EMR Tech red light therapy device for Christmas. EMR Tech panels are low flicker, low EMF, and use targeted wavelengths such as 830 and 630 nanometers, amongst others, to get extremely effective results. For more information, go to emrtech.com and use our code DRADIO10 for 10% off your order. That's E-M-R-T-E-K.com with our code DRADIO10. D-R-A-D-I-O, 10 to save at checkout.
0: We are live here with Dr. Tom Cowan. He is shedding some light on how the circulatory cardiovascular system actually works. And you just said, Tom, some incredible things in there um, that are right up our alley. Sunlight, EMFs from technology, um, the exclusion zone. So talking a lot about Dr. Gerald Pollack's work, Gilbert Ling, So maybe just to clarify, so we drive it home for people. So we have this hydrophilic lining and that's the, is that the glycocalyx of the blood vessel or there's a hydrophilic lining? No, it's something else. Okay. It's a hydrophilic
1: tube.
0: Tube. Okay. And then we have the exclusion zone that's forming the negative areas forming on the hydrophilic surface. Then the positive area, the bulk water side is in the blood. And then the red blood cells have a zeta potential to them, which is a net negative charge. So is that positive, then bulk water moving, propelling via, you know, the repulsion of charges? That's what's moving the RBCs uh, along?
1: Partly. Also, there. there's two other factors that move the blood. One is, you know, and a guy named Francesco Torrenquas showed the anatomy of the heart, which is basically a band. And it, it it has two ways of contracting. It spirals down, and then it spirals back up like a plunger. But the plunger goes in a spiral. And that plunger sucks the blood up from the body. Just like when you plunge your toilet, that sucks the blood, you know, essentially or the water up. So that's, what, that's another way that helps suction the blood up to the heart. The third way is the heart creates an electromagnetic torus field around it, and the blood has iron in it. And so that iron in the red blood cells is magnetically attracted to the greatest area of electromagnetism, which is the heart. So the, the red blood cells will be attracted just through basic principles of electromagnetism up through the blood into the heart and pulls the blood along with it.
0: So that's a paramagnetic effect. And that's due, the heart has such a large magnetic field or EMF due to its density of mitochondria or is there other reasons for that, just in general, the electrical nature of it?
1: Well, it's got all this water in it, which itself has a charge. Mm-hmm. And it's got all this red blood cells in it, which has iron, which also creates a magnetic field, and it's vortexing. Yes. So that combination creates, you know, essentially a toroidal field with what's called a block domain in the center, and so the block domain is the sort of the line through the heart, and that's the essentially the central field of the, of the heart called toroidal field. That's the biofield of the human being, and the center of it is the heart.
0: So there we are. You know, biology is inherently electromagnetic, um, yet centralized health likes to ignore that, even though we use an EKG, EEG, we know all these things. So you just did a brilliant job explaining how the heart cardiovascular system is working. Now, heart disease I think is still the number one killer in the world. And obviously, it's due to a high LDL cholesterol, saturated fat diet. Um, Statins are wonderful. Um, They're really helping a lot of people. But what in your opinion, you mentioned a few things is really the root cause to heart disease. And, you know, died suddenly is all these all these types of cardiovascular issues that we're seeing now at an even more rapid rate, to me, it seems like improper redox and mitochondrial dysfunction, but I'm curious on your take.
1: So if you, you know, it's also important to be specific about what heart disease you're talking about, right? There's so-called congestive heart failure and arrhythmias, but mostly people are talking about heart attacks. That's the main thing. So the question is what causes heart attacks? And again, uh, the, the, the way to think, if you wanna think la- logically, rationally, or scientifically is, is to find the claim. The claim is, and you can ask every cardiologist, every internist, every family doctor, every man on the street or woman, what causes heart attacks? They say the same thing. You have three major coronary arteries. All the blood goes to your heart, goes through those arteries, and they get blocked with plaque, and the blood can't get through, and then the part downstream dies uh, because of lack of oxygen and blood flow. Uh, so, by the way, there's no oxygen in the blood. That's a whole other story, but um, we, we don't have to get into that. But that, that's part of the story. So then there's of course arguments about what causes the plaque. Some people say LDL, some people say low HDL, some people say infections, inflammation, heavy metals, et cetera. But there's no argument that it's the plaque that blocks the blood flow that causes heart attacks, right? Except me, of course. Now let's think about that. Uh, again, we I can ask you some questions. Do you think all the arteries, including the coronary arteries, are essentially made of the same stuff? Yes. Yeah. There's no theory that the coronary artery is made of this and the hepatic artery is made of something totally different. Same arteries, hepatic, spleen, etc. Mm-hmm. Another question. Is the blood that goes through the coronary arteries composed of the same stuff as the blood that goes through all the rest of the arteries. Yeah. Obviously. Okay. So if there's something that's too much in the blood in an artery that's the same, like cholesterol or HDL or boogers or something, uh, it would precipitate in the coronary arteries, and it would also precipitate in the splenic artery.
0: Yeah, it should. The problem
1: is it's something in the blood that's not right. So it's since the same blood, same arteries got to be the same everywhere in the body. And in fact, you do get plaque buildup in the splenic artery, hepatic artery, coronary artery, carotid artery, femoral artery, and all the other ones, right? Same plaque, same stuff, same artery. How many people do you know or heard of in your life who had spleen attacks?
0: Not many. None. Yes,
1: have asked probably 100,000 people. Nobody. And I was an ER doctor for years. Nobody. Never saw it. How about liver attacks? No. Kidney attacks.
0: Kidney Not failure, attack. that's about it, but Kidney that's different. Kidney
1: failure is different. Yeah. No, doesn't happen. How about, you know anybody who's had a heart attack or ever heard of anybody? Oh, yeah. Quite a few. Thousands. Dick Cheney, Bill Clinton, a few other people. Why is that? Same artery, same plaque, same blood.
0: Must be something unique to that specific area then.
1: So the heart has got to be different than the spleen. Not the yeah. artery, because the artery's the same. Now, here's another question. and I saw this because I wrote a book about the heart, and so I had lots of heart patients. People came to me. Same story over and over. I was walking up a hill with my wife, and I felt a little chest pain, and I told my wife I probably shouldn't have done that. She told me I had to go to the cardiologist. He did some tests. He says, I have a 95% blockage of my right or left or anterior descending coronary artery, and then they usually wag their finger. And say, if it blocks any more, you're going to have a heart attack. Right? They come to me then. Now, if they tell you that all the blood through your heart, to your heart, goes through those three coronary arteries. So he just told the guy he has 5% blood flow to one of the major areas of his heart. Right? Got a 95% blockage. That means 5% of the blood is... How did he walk up that hill?
0: Yeah, that seems like you know pretty significant. Like even at what thirty percent blockage? Yeah, it would be like a massive difference. Not
1: a big deal. Yeah, twenty percent blood flow. (laughs) Now, if you're if you're ninety three percent blocked, and you block another three percent, like now you're ninety six. You think that's going to make any difference?
0: No, splitting hairs at that point. Yeah,
1: so is it then
0: for... the is it then the action we're talking the electrostatic action like in the capillaries that's really navigating around this blockage?
1: Well, we don't know that yet. All we know is that story is hooey. Yeah. So then, mm-hmm. when I heard that, and I mean, I just thought of those things. I just, you know. Thought, I said, okay, I'm going to go look in every autopsy study that's ever been done. How many people who die of a heart attack, right? That's the worst of the worst. Joke Blow comes in, has a heart attack, dead. That's got to be the worst, you know, doesn't live. In it. So I looked at all the studies, the percentage of people who had any blockage at all to that artery, if that artery leading to that part of the heart it varied from a low of 18% to a high of 78%. And the, the best study ever done, with a guy named Giorgio Biroldi, who wrote a book on this, uh, 41% of the people who have, die of a heart attack by autopsy uh, have a blockage of any significance. And half of the blockages come after the heart attack, not before which means 20% of the people who have who die of a heart attack have significant plaque in the artery leading to that part of the heart which of course means 80% don't now just even the 20% doesn't mean that's what caused the heart attack it just means they had plaque doesn't prove it's the cause and so t- We have 80% unaccounted for, which is, by the way, why stents and bypasses have never been shown to prolong life, prevent heart attacks, or even successfully treat chest pain. So that's a fact. But so we now know that heart attacks are not caused by plaque buildup in your coronary artery. And we don't have to go back to that because it's already a fact. So then the next question since we already know that so what does cause heart attacks right so that's the next question so we know that it's got to be something different about the heart and versus the spleen and the liver and the foot because you don't have foot attacks so the difference is we have essentially two kinds of metabolism we have you know so called oxidative phosphorylation which doesn't use oxygen because there's no oxygen in the blood. But again, that's a whole long story. Uh, and we have glycolysis or fermentation. Glycolysis builds up lactic acid, and the oxidative phosphorylation is supposedly in the Krebs in the mitochondria, right? So if you have uh, problems with your mitochondria, which by the way the heart and the brain, which is the only other area that has attacks called strokes. They have the most mitochondria. They generate the most energy. And if you have a problem with them because of a whole lot of reasons like bad food and heavy metals and EMFs and it's emotional stuff or whatever, you do what's called a glycolytic shift, which you start fermenting fuel. And That builds up lactic acid, which causes cramps and pain, same as in your leg. And then you stop moving because you have a leg cramp. The the difference with the heart and the brain is they can't stop. So the fermentation continues. The lactic acid builds up. You get a localized acidification of the tissue which then causes necrosis, which is what we mean by a heart attack. So you can see the whole chain of events. And then once the tissue dies, like a river that's flowing, and then you beaver builds a dam, and then you get debris upstream from the dam, right? That's what happens to the heart. You get a damage to the tissue. The blood flow coming into that builds up debris. And that's why you get plaque buildup after the heart attack, not before. And they falsely attribute the effect of the poor. Uh, so this is a metabolic problem. It's a damaged energy generation. And the, the energy field of the heart contracts in and you get damage to the tissue. And the acid damages the tissue. And then the blood can't go through. And then it builds up plaque, and then you falsely uh, ascribe the problem to the buildup of the plaque. And that describes exactly what you see in literally every case.
0: So this is really, you're talking about, yeah, the Warburg metabolism, right? Shifting to more glycolysis. And we get, you know, obviously there's a lot of similarities there with, with cancer, but how much is this happening on a daily basis where our body's able to handle that to a certain degree? Like we're all exposed to some sort of toxins. Um, unfortunately that's just the reality of it. You know, when does it become like, is this built up over time? The tissue damage just the necrosis accumulates and our body's not properly cleaning it up via, you know, apoptosis, autophagy or something else, lymphatic drainage due to poor sleep and light. Um, or is this, you know, some people have a heart attack very suddenly, um, not in their, their late years. So I'm curious, kind of, the buildup to that as well.
1: I mean, it could be any number of possible avenues to get there. It could be a, a, a sudden insult, right? So you could have an acute damage from some sort of poisoning, like taking uh, an injection of some, you know, metabolic poison, which we were told would give you immunity, even though we don't even have an immune system, but that's a whole nother story. Um, But so you could be poisoned, you could be poisoned with electromagnetic fields, and then you can't metabolize, and then you build up lactic acid, or it could happen slowly, and then you just get to a threshold where you can't, you know, you can't keep up with your energy demands. So it could happen in a lot of ways.
0: So really it's coming down to the energy, the mitochondria, right? And and again, tying in cancer here to, to us, think about all things really as, as mitochondrial diseases, big fan of Doug Wallace's work in, in that space. So you're mentioning a lot of important things. How How do you think about the mitochondria generating ATP, ATP's role in energy, and then how water. I want to tie it back to the biological water because you write pretty brilliantly about that and its effect as well, and, and things like cancer and and how the you know the cell and they've shown kind of when you inject you know nuclear uh, mutated cells into the cytoplasm, they end up being fine.
1: Right. So number one, ATP has nothing to do with energy. Uh, that is a misconception, which is unfortunately rampant in the sort of holistic health space. And cancer has nothing to do with genetics. And in fact, uh, genetics has nothing to do with genet- genetics. The genes have nothing to do with uh, making proteins or coding for life or any of that other nonsense that's also easily disproven. But so what happened, the, the mitochondria are sort of charge generators, but it is partly this ATP as a chemical, even though I think it's questionable whether we even have chemicals in us. That's a whole nother issue. But if you go up trying to prove that you have something called insulin in you, uh, you can't do it. Because the only way you can do it is to take blood and mix it with chemicals. And then you will precipitate something or create a reaction, which wasn't there in the living system. And then you claim that that thing was, was actually there before you did the chemicals. And you say, well, did you do a control and find the chemi- the thing before you did the chemicals? Well, no, never, no. So how do you know it was there before? Well. there's no answer to that so you don't know that it was there you think it was there because you because people especially scientists or doctors think they think that if something is there more uh than it was in the beginning it must have grown which itself is nonsense because you can go to a fish pond and measure how many free bones are in the pond right there's hardly any. And then you put a stick of dynamite in the, po- in the pond, blow up all the fish, and then you get a lot of fish bones. That's because the fish bones reproduce themselves, right? That's ridiculous. So you can break stuff down with harsh chemicals and create reactions, which you think are, were there be in the beginning, but they weren't. So anyways, um, so how do you form a gel? is the same as jello. You take gelatin proteins, right, hydrophilic proteins, mix them with water, and what happens? Nothing. So then you heat up the, heat the solution. What does that do? It unfolds the gelatin proteins. Then the water can interact with it, and when it cools, it forms the gel. So that's why we have Bunsen burners in our bodies, so we can heat up the proteins, and unfold them so that they can uh, interact with the water to form gels. Because all of the water in us, besides blood and urine, is in a gel form. I can tell you how I know that in a minute if you want. But but of course, we don't have Bunsen burners, right? Because that's ridiculous. Uh, we have a chemical called ATP, which attaches to the ends of the Cytoskeleton proteins, it unfolds them, then the water can interact with them and form these gels. So ATP plays the role of heat with making jello. So because it's the structured water that creates this electromagnetic charge, which is the only charge there is, it's the only force there is. We think it's creating energy, the ATP, because if you don't have ATP, you can't unfold the proteins. If you don't have a, an, a stove, you can't make jello, because you can't unfold the proteins. So if you don't have ATP, you can't uh, unfold the proteins. You won't form a gel. You won't get any electromagnetism, and therefore you won't have energy or life. Yeah, that's why people were fooled into thinking ATP creates energy, even though Gilbert Ling proved there's no more energy in ATP than any other chemical.
0: Are you looking to get the benefits of grounding and earthing, but really just can't be barefoot all the time? Yes, you know what I'm talking about, right? Absorbing free electrons from the earth, improving your circadian rhythm and blood flow and vitality and redox. And that is why I'm excited that this show is brought to you by... Riesel shoes. Rizal shoes are, in my awareness, the only non-sandal grounded shoes. They have slip-ons and they have cool boots as well with laces that are not only grounded via a copper plug, but have leather outsoles made with water buffalo hide. So they're all natural. They are grounded and they're barefoot and minimalist with a wide toe box. This is imperative for foot health, and it's really gonna keep you connected in a modern lifestyle setting so you don't have to walk around barefoot all the time. I love them in the wintertime. I can wear socks with my slip ons and not be freezing cold trying to be grounding. You need to check them out, folks. Rizal Shoes, R H I Z A L dot C O. Rizal.co is their website. Use code D Radio at checkout for 10% off and get your shoes get grounded, get connected and improve your health. Yeah. And it's what stated as like the bond between, you know, ATP, like that, that final bond is what's holding energy. But I I was familiar with, I was familiar with the opening of the binding site. And then what you just said made me think about the heat, the mitochondria do produce heat though, via uncoupling. Does that have any role in, you know, the structured water component because the way I think about it and is that this heat produced is you know in the form of potentially infrared light which can then further expand the exclusion zone so i just i mean quickly wanted your thought on that
1: yeah it could be
0: okay because maybe we do have bunsen burners but we we do have atp for sure and and it drives me nuts because you're right That so many people in the holistic alternative health space still refer to it as this this energy currency but It's really all electromagnetism at the end of the day.
1: no biochemical currency.
0: And then our mitochondria, more importantly, getting back to the water story, what's often neglected is that they're producing the water. So at Complex 4, that's where we're actually producing the water. So how do you think about hydration and that importance, especially in a modern toxic world, having the sufficient you know role of water in our biology
1: well i mean (laughs) so what do i think you need to be have the proper amount but more importantly the proper form of the water it's not so much the amount of water i mean that may be somewhat relevant but and, and you know, what's interesting about this, you talk about cancer. If you go to an oncologist and say, does cancer have anything to do with the, the structuring of my the water in my tissues? They will say, besides get out of my office. Um, what do you mean by that? Like, first of all, I don't know what you mean by structured water. And second of all, it has nothing to do with it. Right. It's all genetic. So then you say to him, "How are you going to diagnose my cancer?" Well, I'll do an MRI. What does an MRI measure? Here's what's interesting:
0: protons.
1: <laughs> no, he doesn't know. <laughs> and water. He, yeah, he yeah. doesn't know, or she. <laughs> so they're doing this test every single day, and if you ask him, "What is this test measure? Just like you can ask a your internist. What is a PCR for COVID test measuring? They don't know. I mean, if you don't believe me, go and do it. Uh, Ask them, what is it measuring? I don't know. It's a test. It's measuring the virus. Well, no, it's not. That's ridiculous. Uh, And the MRI is a software that measures the structure of the water. And when when it's supposed to be a, like a liquid living crystal, and if it's hardened like a lump of coal, or when it's bulk water like liquid, it sends a different signal which is integrated in the MRI machine, and it makes a different color, and then you can see there's this problem. That's how they diagnose it. And they don't know that. So that is the problem. You have Disordered water, and that's either because you have something dissolved in your jello, like poison grapes, which are interfering with the ability of the jello to form properly, or too much heat, or, you know, there's other reasons. The the frequencies aren't right, or something is interfering with your ability to form healthy uh, gels. That's the disease.
0: Yeah, I, I mean the MRI is like a breakthrough in electromagnetism, and we still can't conceive that that's the innate, you know, level of our biology. So you, you mentioned a lot of great things, right? So to you, what is like the reason, the main reason why we have so much chronic disease proliferating? Is it just due to our modern indoor, disconnected lifestyle, on top of you know toxins, or is it something else?
1: I mean, you can use cancer as, as an example because, um, you know, I like to, uh, I, I evolved quite a bit from when I wrote the cancer book because number one, I have come to the conclusion that the idea that we're made of cells is an unproven and probably disproven hypothesis. We are not made of cells. Have you ever seen a cell in a living person?
0: I have not, but I haven't looked under a microscope since ninth grade biology. Yeah, but
1: even if you go and look, nobody has ever seen it. You have to remove the liver cell, the piece of the liver, and then you have to stain it in order to see the compartments. Mm -hmm. If you say, well, let me see it without the stain, right? Because we know that stains make Things appear that weren't there originally. They can't do it. So that's that's the first problem. And why? And that's
0: sorry to interrupt. That's where the water thing falls through as well. Because everyone, you know, if you poked a hole in the, the cell, like the water would would leak out, right? But, right. But it doesn't.
1: It doesn't. There's no water. I like I said, I was an ER doc. I've seen people shot, bayoneted. I was looking for water squirting out of them, and never am. They're not, there's no water in there. Now, the next thing they tell us that, uh, okay, so there's cells, right? So these cancer cells are, they have aberrant genes that cause them to grow too fast, right? And these cells, these cancer cells are all misshapen, abnormal chromosome configurations. They're, you know, they got bad receptors and they got all kinds of funky stuff, right? They don't look like normal cells. And that's cause, that's why they grow so fast. If I said to you, hey, I got this car I want to sell you. And I, I, w- I took it to the place and they t- hit it with a wrecking ball and the engine's in the trunk and the steering wheel's broken and the brake lines are cut and, uh, you know, the windshields are all smashed. But trust me, Tristan, it runs twice as fast as a normal car. What do you think? Do you want to buy it? Why not? I told you it runs great.
0: I'm not falling for that trap.
1: Okay. But I, I told you they got this cancer cell, and it's all misshapen and all smashed to bits. It got a weird number of chromosomes, which can't possibly fit on the spindle. And it, trust me, it runs twice as fast as a normal car, a normal cell. You buy it? No. That's what—that's the basis of oncology. You have to kill the fast-growing abnormal cells. Mm-hmm. And then when they get really big, they start swimming through the bloodstream, and they go from the breast to your liver. It's called the metastases. And if you go to the oncologist, say. Well, can you show me the the cells in the blood? No. Why not? You just told me it was going through the blood to get to the liver. No, there's not enough to see in the blood. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they tell you with the viruses. Can you show me the the virus in your lungs? No. Why not? Not enough to see. Well, then how is it killing me if there's not enough to see with an electron microscope? Trust me. It's like unicorns. You know the what why are buildings get blown up? unicorns. Can you show me it? No, why not? Because they're invisible, uh, right. So you just start making up stories. so here here's a better way to think of it. What would you do? You got this house, right, and I come along and, and dump a bunch of stinky garbage in your in your house. What would you do?
0: Uh, be very angry. After that, I'd try and get it out.
1: What would you do first?
0: Make I would try and get you to get it out, and right. I don't know. Okay, I'm not gonna call the it. police.
1: <laughs> yeah. How about this? You'd put it in bags.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, for sure. That makes Maybe it easier.
1: Cans, right? Right. Yep. Okay, that's what your body does. You put some stinky garbage in. It puts it in cans, and the cans are called cells. They make compartments only when they're trying to get rid of stuff. Mm. Why would why would you have a, a a liver that would be perfectly functional without like, like cubicles, right? Why would you make it into cubicles? Why not just have a homogeneous liver? That's what it feels like. That's what it looks like. But at if you have if you poison it it puts it in bags called cells and it happens like that all the time at the periphery you see little cells that's getting rid of you know old liver cells that are not healthy anymore and then you make you regrow the main tissue that's always happening but if you if you quadruple and worsen the amount of stuff in there right stinky garbage you make more garbage cans.
0: <laughs> more cells.
1: More cells. And they stink. And they got weird chromosomes. And they're all misshapen. And they don't work right. And they're not growing and dividing. They can't do that. They're just the reason there's more of them, like the fish bones, is because you get more garbage. So you make more uh, garbage cans. Then, so then is
0: this process if there's too much accumulating because the garbage man is not coming around due to environmental factors, is that then what's you got causing... a tumor. Yes. Okay. And then
1: if you keep putting in garbage, you first you put it in the garage, right? So it's not so bad. Then you put it in the spare bedroom, and then you put it in the kitchen, and then the living room, and then your bedroom. Those are called metastases. And then you're dead because you can't live in the house anymore. And that's exactly and that, what happens.
0: And that process of cleaning up the trash would be like apoptosis and autophagy. And No, that's, that's those fancy
1: or... words which mean nothing. <laughs> uh, you, what, do you do, what do you do if you have too much garbage? You take it to the dump. So in other words, you, you just confuse people with those kind of words. If you want, if you got stinky garbage, you take a dump. Or 20 dumps, like coffee enemas. Mm. Or you stop putting garbage in your house. Or you use castor oil packs to make more uh excretion of the stinky garbage. That's how it works. And if you need to get things out that are water-soluble, you sweat, like sweat lodges. And that way you can see why the Gerson diet works and the Gonzalez diet works. Everything is about stopping putting nasty shit in your body and then getting it out. It's not complicated. Yeah.
0: It's it's like giving your body a, a fighting chance for for once, because um, it's it's basically everyone's swimming underwater at this point in 2024.
1: It, here's the biggest psyop of all. Not the biggest. It's one of the biggest. Top three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what this stuff that your body does, like putting garbage in cans, that's that's a good. That's brilliant. Hmm. That's not brilliant. That's a disease. If you, if you get poison and then you make snot to get the poison out, that's not brilliant. That's a disease. You got bronchitis and COVID.
0: But, but Tom, we need to give you pharmaceuticals to treat that.
1: Yeah, but see, they, they've convinced us that <laughs> what our body does is stupid rather than the therapy and that's that's the stupid thing
0: and do you think that's all tied back to to money
1: no it's tied to consciousness hmm. that it's it's not about money i mean it's a little bit about money but it doesn't matter it's we have a thought disorder and we are trained to not think logically, rationally, or scientifically, particularly the scientists. <laughs> they're, the, they're the worst. Uh, they, they, cannot, they don't even realize, for instance, that the way science works is falsifying claims. You talk to a hmm. doctor, well, show me that the virus in chickenpox, the first thing out of their mouth will be: so what do you think causes chicken pox? That is an irrational thing to say. So you mean if you can't tell me who your real parents are, I'm not going to believe that you're adopted? It's ridiculous. But that's how, they, that's how I was taught to think. It's, this is a, a, a psychological disturbance that affects people's thinking, more so than it's because of money.
2: So do you think it's, it's, it's about like, maybe I'm getting way too philosophical, but like the human need to explain occurrences we don't understand?
1: Partly you, what the thing that I trained myself to do is, okay, I know the heart isn't a pump. I don't know. I have no idea what moves the blood. I'll just deal with it. And I'll just say, I don't know. And, it's kind and of like going back to square that, one. They get sick. Yeah. It's because of virus. I know it's not a virus. I know there's no such thing. They say, "Well, why did I get sick?" I don't know. I mean, I got some ideas, but but you know, and there's a lot of things like that. Once you can stay in that space, your life will change in a way that you cannot imagine. If you cannot stay in that space. I can. You will learn nothing. That's that is what I've come to in my sixty-seven years living. If you can't stay in the, I I know it's not that, but I don't know what's true. You'll learn nothing, and if you stay in that space, somehow the world next day somebody will say, well, what about this? And now you've you start learning about the next, how it really works. But you have to clear out. If you can't clear out the heart is a pump and blocked arteries and viruses make you sick and genes are, are control your life and blah blah blah, you you're gonna get nowhere.
0: So I know you have to go in a couple of minutes. Yes. Just for people as a takeaway, you know, should they really just be then focusing on the environment they live in, like you said, minimizing the toxic inputs, giving their body, you know, a fighting chance not fighting your body's response to something
1: they should learn to think there if we go you, if you don't do that it's hopeless
2: that's a good one
1: that's you got to just learn to think and and if somebody says makes the claim you say how do you know that and if they say the claim is you know there's nuclear weapons and you say, how do you know there's nuclear weapons? And they say, I don't know. Or, well, they told me the Hiroshima was. Mind you, the, everybody looking into it said it wasn't a nuclear weapon. They don't know that. So, you, so unless you know you're working out of a belief system and our belief systems have been systematically manipulated for hundreds of years, And that's what'll get you more so than get out in the sun. I mean, that's good too, but you know, that comes after you learn to think.
0: It all, it all comes further down the line. Once you look through the world through that lens, I think, as you're saying, so you you have to question everything and demand proof of work, Tom, I know you have to run. Thanks so much for coming on. Where can people find more about your work? We'll, We'll have to do this again. I have a lot more questions for you. But um, where can people Dr. find you?
1: com. All
0: right. And you have educational yeah, courses and seminar there, right? Yep. Nice. All right. Awesome. Tom, thanks so much for coming on. You have a great one. I'll see you. All right. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're just going to do a little recap here. That was fun. Cool. Wow, that guy's. Is... Astounding. Um, doctor. I like the Cown analogies. Cowan. Yeah. I knew the analogies were coming. I was kinda yeah. like distracted during a couple of them. Um, just trying to look through notes and, and talk to you and wow, he was uh, incredible. And yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of people out there that are questioning the narrative quite as strongly and have really thrown their reputation completely on the line for I mean, everything now, like Viruses aren't real. Cancer is not genetic. The heart is not a pump. Um, Cells aren't real or cells aren't the way we think they are. ATP is not energy. What else do you say? Blood does not carry oxygen. Oxygen, The list goes on and on and on. (laughs) But mind blown, mind shattering. It really makes you question then because the thing I like about him is he's very strategic the way he presents the information he's like all right well let's say this is how they tell you that cancer exists and this is how they tell you the heart works let's first say why that's not true and then think about what may be the case so it's very very thought through very systematic in terms of like going through things line by line to convince you which i think he does a really good job
2: Yeah, I mean, the biggest takeaway, I mean, I love the line at the end where he said, unless you know, everything is a belief system, because if you fundamentally look at anything you think you know, there's probably a majority of those things that are truly based on belief, almost alone, or based on someone you believe in that told you. And so it it does go back to, I mean, what we talk about a lot is that you, like, you kind of need to dig into it for yourself not take any of our word for it or whoever we interview his word for it and like like dig into it and see what is true. And in your case, sort of the N one case, but yeah, some of that stuff was crazy. Like you don't have chemicals in your body. I mean, but if there's one thing I we've learned like through this journey and through our discussions, um, just when you think, you know, something, there's a hundred other things that you cannot explain. And that's just the human story. And so I I love that at the end, like the ability to critically think is something that we're trying to help preach on the show. So yes, question everything.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I didn't realize how aligned his work would be with like kind of what we talk about a lot, like mitochondrial health and electromagnetism. But it just goes to show you that when you question everything, you kind of reach these same conclusions. And again, that's the first and foremost thing that you need to address is, you know, because you can't you can't really be half in, half out. I don't think it works like that. And the big takeaways for me from Dr. Cowan is that, yeah, we fundamentally are electromagnetic beings and you don't need to overcomplicate things. You just need to let your body have the ability to heal. And I did, you know, I asked him about autophagy uh, apoptosis because I wanted to get into like sleep and, you know, circadian rhythm, but we didn't have time for that. But even he is like, you know, don't overcomplicate it. Just tell people to stop, you know, filling their life with garbage and then giving your body the opportunity to clean it out. So that might not be a clear cut answer for everybody. But if you think about it logically, it's pretty simple, right? And if you're just deliberate about it, it's uh your body's going to be able to heal pretty, pretty prolifically. But if you keep, you know, injecting yourself with toxins or, you know, he mentioned EMFs multiple times, which I was stoked about. So that's fantastic. And yeah, I think really just shifting your entire mindset to think in this realm, this school of thought for yourself and you'll end up kind of where we're all at. So it's it's pretty exciting to get his perspective. And yeah, you can dive deep in his books. Talks about like the vortexing, Victor Schauberger, um, the, you know, Rudolf Steiner There's a lot of these early, the sacred geometry of the heart is really interesting. So Tom used to be a anthropological practitioner, but then kind of distanced himself from that community after COVID. And yeah. I think we definitely need to get him back on for a part oh, yeah. two to dive deeper on viruses. And I mean, there's so many rabbit holes with this guy, but I think we packed a ton into that episode.
2: Totally agree. I mean, I couldn't say it better. I mean, the biggest thing is, is we always say health is simple. It's the nuances that become complex, but it's never a mystery why things happen. You just have to look around your environment and usually the answers are there immediately. I never question why anyone got sick. Usually the answers are straight in your face. It's just the perception we have that keeps us blinded to the truth around us, really.
0: And to me, maybe the biggest last thing is that oftentimes in our healthcare system, the treatment for the disease and the environment of the treatment is actually what's killing you, like straight up. And in his books, he goes into why, you know, stents, Bypasses, valves, all these things, statins, they don't work. They've been proven not to work. Same thing with cancer treatments, chemotherapies, immunotherapies, all these things. They don't work. They've been proven not to really work. And then think about the environment that you're in in a hospital like setting. You know, artificial light everywhere, high EMFs. I mean, you're going to be so dehydrated. Your water in your body is just going to be so dysfunctional, your mitochondria as well. So, are you know, If something happens to you, think about that maybe as you make decisions or a family member, because that's what I think about now is the environment of healing is just as important. And then the treatment that they're giving you is probably just, you know, putting more toxins in your body and preventing your body's ability to naturally deal with these things. So we're definitely going to get Dr. Cowan back on. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Let us know what you think. Shoot us an email. We'll see you next time on Decentralized Radio.